And so, uh, before I do anything else, I want to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And when I'm done with this, uh, we'll begin. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Our Holy Father, I just want to thank you, God, again for this day. Lord, I pray that you'd open up your word to us today. Lord, help us to understand what Paul is teaching in Ephesians in this passage. Lord God, I pray that you would help us then to be doers of this word. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you. It was like magic. Close my eyes. It's up here. Um, I was just thinking, too. I need to get somebody to grab that for me. Uh, so we read Ephesians 4. Now, just to remind you what's going on, because we've been out of Ephesians for a little bit. We were in Ephesians uh, way back, right? And we got to the second half of the book. And in the second half of the book, Paul kind of shifts gears a little bit. And he goes from just talking about these abstract ideas to now he's talking about some more practical things, specifically how we are to walk. And chapter 4 started off with him saying, uh, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy. So his command is to walk worthy. And so I got a, a nice walk, don't walk sign up there for you today. And he says, walk worthy, right? Walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And so the, the, the key to understanding Ephesians is to understand, okay, all this stuff. You talk about who is Jesus? What has he done? What did he do in our lives specifically? And then he says, therefore, because of all these things we've talked about, this is what you need to do, right? If you understand all this other stuff, this is what you're supposed to do. And so he says, walk worthy. And the whole second half of the book is focused in on how we are to walk. And when I say walk... I'm not literally meaning how you put one foot in front of the other, right? What, what am I talking about when I say how you're to walk? How you're to what? Live, right? And so he says walk in a manner worthy or live in a manner worthy. Now, when he started that conversation in Ephesians 4.1, the whole rest of that uh, that we've talked about so far up to verse 16 was all about walking in unity, right? That we're not meant to walk the Christian life alone. And we kind of battled as we went through there. We kind of worked against some of the, the misconceptions that people have. A lot of people feel like their, their spiritual life is a completely isolated event where they're all on their own. And Paul just, hey, he just kind of blows that out of the water. He says, we are to walk together. We're to walk in unity. We're to be unified in what we do as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, specifically, the gifts that God has given us have been given to us for the express purpose of building up each other to build up his church. And so, the, for me, the most interesting thing about that whole passage is that there are gifts that you, God has given to you that the only way that you will fully know what those gifts are is within the scope of, as a participant in the body of Jesus Christ, known as the 
church. And there are some gifts that specifically, that's, that's what they're there for. And God has given us those things to build up His church. But now we've, get, we've reached a, a verse 17. And Paul is, again, now he uses the word walk again in verse 17. But this time it's, a, it's not a walk, it's a don't walk. Right? So first he says walk worthy. Now he says don't walk. And so what does he say specifically? He says don't walk like the Gentiles. Now I, I thought about making a joke at this point. Uh, about if you were in the 80s, you might have thought, you know, you might have been thinking, don't walk like the Gentiles. You might be thinking, don't walk like Egyptians, right? Is that coming back? Denise is smiling. She knows what I'm talking about. Uh, but Paul says, don't walk like Gentiles. Now, what's he talking about? Is he talking about a race of people? Absolutely not. The focus of what Paul is talking about is he's saying, don't walk like what we, we might say pagans. And what Paul means by this is that there's, there is a key difference a fundamental difference between how a Christian is to live their life and how a non-Christian lives their life, right? Now, if I asked you the question, I want you to, to describe for me what is a good... Uh, I was going to do basketball player, but that's I'm in the wrong season, so I'm going I'm to switch it. I'm going to do football player. What's a good football player, right? If I said... Describe for me a good football player. What are some skills that might pop in your head? As soon as I say that, what are some things that might pop in your head? Anybody, help me out. What's it? Yeah, quarterback. So what's like a skill? What would they be able to do? Run. That's important, right? Throw. Oh, did you say throw? I'm sorry. Right? They have to be able to throw the ball. As a quarterback, they got to be able to throw the ball, right? Pass it. Nice spiral pass, right? Make it to the person. Uh, if you're a receiver, that's not as much on the throwing as it is on the catching, Right? Uh, you have to. I said run. She, I thought she said run. Run. You had to be able to run. You got to be able to do these things, right? Got to be able to move. Uh, one of my students this last week uh, showed me his his first game as a starting varsity player, right? He shows me this video, and and he he, he had they uploaded it to YouTube because I got to show you this video. He says I almost got my first varsity touchdown because I want you to see it, and so it, it shows him and and he. The, the quarterback passed the ball. He, he kept, I mean, he bounced out of both hands. He finally gets a hold of it, and he's running down. He goes past three guys, and he's within 10 yards of the end zone. Nobody's around him, and he trips. And does a face plant right there. <laughs> you know, oh, the kids gave him the hardest time. Every time I see him now, I, he's, I'll see him walking down the hall. I'll say, be careful, careful. <laughs> Don't fall. But uh, there, there's skills. Now, now, but, now, here's the thing, though. He's a, he's a pretty good football player. He's a, just a sophomore this year, and he's starting varsity. He's real fast, real good player. But if I listed off his skills, right, his specific skills, but let's say the rest of the season he doesn't have any more face plants, right? But let's say he does great the rest of the season. Great season. You might say he's a good football player, right? But now let's say you took that same kid and you put him on the field with the Broncos, is he a good football player anymore? <laughs> now, see, so the thing is, to define what's a good football player is a little bit harder than just listing skills, isn't it? The skills have to be appropriate for the level they're playing in as well. And so then you might start thinking in some other aspects of what does it take to be a good football player, right? Not just having the skills, but having skills in, in increasing measure appropriate to how long they've been playing, Right? I had some friends in high school that were really good basketball players, but they got into college, they weren't as good anymore. The, the competition was harder. They hadn't improved over time. Right? 
So defining a good football player can be kind of challenging. I think the same thing happens when we talk about what does it mean, and I, I'm going to say a good Christian, but what I mean is, is what does it mean to be a, a Christian? What is being a Christian all about? Some of us, we try to narrow it down to just a list of, of behaviors, but you, you can't narrow it down that way. And what's really interesting is what Paul is doing here, and so this is, this is the most important thing I'm saying today. The interesting thing that Paul is doing is he says, walk worthy. When you want to know what you're supposed to do as a Christian, his first emphasis is on walking together with other Christians. His second emphasis is still not going to be this list of behaviors. Most of us, when we talk about what it means to be a Christian, we start listing off the behaviors. That's the first thing that comes to our mind. That is not the first thing that comes to Paul's mind when he says, how are we to live? Right? How are we to live? And the fundamental difference, just like trying to determine what is a good football player, the fundamental difference in a, what does it mean to be a Christian, what does it actually mean, can't be narrowed down to a simple list of behaviors. We'll come back to that thought in a minute. But now let's read verse 17. Paul says this. We'll read what we're talking about. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their Minds, right? In the futility of their minds. And so Paul says, don't walk in the futility of your mind or in the futility of your, their minds, right? And specifically for us, don't walk in the futility of the mind. What's that mean? The word futility means emptiness. It can be translated vanity. It's, it's a pointlessness. It's a uselessness. There's an emptiness to the mind. And notice he says the mind, and that's exactly what we think of when we think about the mind. We're talking about the thoughts and what's going on up here, our, our willpower, our decision-making ability, all those things that are going up. Who are you on the inside? And so Paul's emphasis here, besides walking together with other Christians, and so the first thing Paul talked about, hey, you know what it means to be a Christian? Get with other Christians, right? That's the first thing. Help to grow the church. That's the first thing. Second thing, now he starts to get a little bit more detailed here. And he says, now the second thing, don't walk in emptiness of mind. Right? And so now he goes right to the very center of who you are and what you think. Right? He's digging down inside. So the primary difference is not an outward. Now think about that as a Christian. Right? What does it mean to be a Christian? Isn't there a basic fundamental difference that happens on the inside first? As a Christian? What's exciting about that is I've known some Christians that were just recently saved. And I knew one guy, he was, he was, he was saved. He was a, a drug addict. And he was all kinds of these other things. And he had just gotten saved. And so, man, there was all kinds of stuff that was still, he was still doing that was wrong. If you would have met him, you would have thought, that's not a Christian. But, but he was genuinely saved before God. He was a Christian. His language was still off. There was things he was doing that was still off. But he was a child of God. I've read stories of other Christians who, when they first got saved, they, they were still, they were, they'd been living with their girlfriend. They were still doing that. They, they hadn't even thought about it yet. They were genuinely a child of God, but they didn't know this part yet. And so they're, they're there, but the, the major change happened on the inside. And you, you see other Christians, as they progress years later, right? Things begin to change. Things begin to grow, and they're, they're different, and there's always an increase and so you can have other Christians who very much are living for God and there's all kinds of things. But the, the key difference, these, both of these people can be genuinely children of God, genuinely saved. On the outside, they could look very different. The basic difference between being a Christian and being a non-Christian is not 
necessarily or directly what's going on on the outside. It starts with what's going on on the inside. Now, so Paul's going to lay this out in a little bit more detail. So let's read verse 18. He says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. I'm going to leave that up there for a second because that, that is just an awful description of a person, isn't it? I mean, it just sounds horrible. It sounds miserable. I mean, they're darkened in their... What does it mean to be futile of mind? This is what it means. Darkened in their understanding, right? That darkened is literally... A darkness is there, right? Darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God or separated from the life of God. And he says, why? Notice there's the because and then there's the due to, right? Do you see that right there? The because of the ignorance and due to their hardness of heart. So he gets right down to the core of where this futility of mind comes from. Notice that it comes from this root cause here. And so I'll put it this way. We could say, think of it this way. Don't walk then. If we don't want to walk in ignorance of mind, we've got to start here. Don't walk in ignorance and hardness, right? Now that word hardness can mean stubbornness. Now think about this. This is a deadly combination. I mean, there's some people out in the world. Now the word ignorant isn't like the word stupid. Ignorant means lack of knowledge, right? Lacking knowledge. Like, there's, there's aspects of things I'm extremely ignorant in because I just don't know anything about those things, right? Ignorance has nothing to do with lack of intelligence. Ignorance just means lack of knowledge. You can have a very smart person that's ignorant in certain categories, right? Stubbornness, and think about that one. Stubbornness is that, that refusal to listen and to learn and things like that. Now think about it. Let's, let's put this combination together. Ignorant and stubborn. That's a deadly combination, isn't it? Maybe you've met some people like that before. They didn't know. I, hey, you know what? I'm going to tell you right now. I've been like that before. I can't tell you how many times I had no idea what I was doing, trying to fix something on the house or trying to fix something. Like I had no idea what I'm doing. I was, and I was too stubborn to ask. Guys are like this all the time with getting directions, aren't they? We, we, we don't do it very often anymore because we have garments that can just tell us which way to go, but we don't like to listen to them either sometimes, right? But ignorance and stubbornness, you put those two things together, that's a deadly combination, isn't it? And that's precisely what Paul's talking about. Ignorance Right? Lack of knowledge. It's one thing to ha- not have knowledge, but to walk in a, a lack of knowledge and to also walk in a stubbornness is a, a dangerous combination. And notice what it leads to. This stubbornness, this hardness. It leads to darkness, right? And alienation from the life of God. See, Paul says that the, the darkness of, of their understanding... Right, the understanding is, is your ability to comprehend and, and grasp the things of God. The darkness and the understanding in this. And notice it doesn't say alienation from God. What does it say alienation from? From the life of God. Right? Paul's referring to the, this life that we could have with God. And he says you, they're, they're separated from that. They don't have this life that you could have with God, this, this partnership with God, this togetherness with God. You don't have that because of the ignorance that is in them and the hardness of the heart. And this is an absolutely bleak outlook when you go this path. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the questions that pops up in my mind right now is this. This is, this is a bit of a challenge. I, I'll have many people will... I wouldn't think of people that are non-Christians as someone who is 
darkened their understanding and alienated from the life of God and ignorant and stubborn. There's a lot of times I meet a, someone who's not a Christian. It seems like they're not like that. Anybody say, I know some people who are not Christian. They seem like they're not dark in their understanding. Anybody say, I know some, they seem pretty bright and they seem kind of, anybody say they know some Christians that seem pretty, or non-Christians that, yeah. They seem, in fact, I, I've met some non-Christians that are very, pretty good people. They're, they're pretty moral and they're doing some good things. And in fact, some of them are, are nicer than we are, Right? They're better than most of us sometimes. Okay, well, what do we do with that? I mean, Paul says walking like the Gentiles is to walk in the darkness and, I mean, the hardness of your heart and ignorance and darkened understanding and all these other things. How, how, does that, how is that true when my perception about here doesn't seem to match that? Well, I want to give you another illustration that might help shed some light on that. Let's say you went to a birthday party. Right? And you just start walking around. You go over, cake's there, you just cut a slice out of it. And you're, oh, man, you're eating the cake, you put on the party hat, you're looking at the presents, counting how many there are. You're so excited. It's your birthday, right? You're super happy. People start looking at you weird, you know, because of some of the things you're doing, but you don't, you know, you, it's all your friends, you're, you're feeling pretty good about it. Now, Let's say at some point before the party's over, somebody walks up to you and says, um, this isn't your party. <laughs> right? This actually isn't for you. This is for this guy over here. You were invited to be a participant to celebrate this person. This is one of the aspects of Christianity that a lot of people misunderstand. Once again, it's not necessarily just about this outward list of behaviors. The person at the party, they were doing all the party, right kind of party kind of things, right? But in essence, they were very off. And the same thing is true with us. When we're born, we're born living in a world where we're the sinner. If you don't believe that, look at any baby. <laughs> Babies are the center of their own universes, Right? As we grow up, we, we go through life thinking this is about me and this is about me and this is about me. And the key thing about acknowledging who Jesus is is to understand it's not about you. It's about him. Right? It's about Jesus. He's king. He's Lord. Not me. And so the very essence of sin itself is to not acknowledge the lordship of Jesus. And being a Christian is about understanding he's the Lord. He's the Christ. I'm an imperfect sinner. My only hope is not just to be obedient to Him and to follow Him, but to understand that He's also paid the debt for my sin. And so being a Christian is not simply about a list of behavior. And so when Paul starts talking about this, think about that in light of this birthday illustration. Right? People who are walking like the Gentiles are walking around in a darkness of understanding. They might be doing moral things, but... They're darkened in their understanding because if, if it's really true that Jesus is really the Messiah, He's really the King, and somebody goes through their whole life and they do really good things, but they miss that one part, haven't you missed the whole point of the party? Right? And that's how this works. This is what Paul's talking about. The darkness of understanding is, is getting, they, they are confused. We are born confused about who is King and who is Lord. And who we are to obey. And what this is all about. And who is it that really matters? It's Christ. And until we get that right, we are darkened in our understanding. 
But Paul's telling us not to walk that way, not to walk in this ignorance, not to walk in this hardness, because if we do, we will be darkened in our understanding and, and separated or alienated from the life of God. Notice as well, he goes into even more detail. This gets even more uh, and, and worse results. He says, they have become callous. You know what a callous is, don't you? Right? They themselves, he says, have, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to, to practice every kind of impurity. Right? And so notice Paul says, if you continue to walk the way of the world in futility of mind, that's, that's about ignorance, about a, a hardness or a stubbornness of heart. Right? When you continue to walk that way, you'll be darkened in your understanding, separated from the life of God. And notice that the, the result here is this. And I'm going to put it this way. You will walk right into callous pleasure. Now, does anybody know what... Have you ever heard the word oxymoron? I know what an oxymoron is. Yeah. Uh, anybody have a good one that pops in your head? What's an example of an oxymoron? Old news. Yeah. Right? It's two words that seem to say the opposite. Anybody else have a different example? Wait, what did you say? Jumbo shrimp. I had that one written down. What did you say? Civil disobedience, yeah, that, yeah. My favorite is jumbo shrimp. I love that one. Um, or, or if you if you try an outfit on, you go, oh, this is a little big, <laughs> right? Um, act naturally. <laughs> you know how does that go together? Yeah, yeah. So now, oxymoron. It's two words that are opposites, right? Put it, you put them together. And so notice what I have here: callous. And the Greek word that's translated here, callous, is, it literally means lack of feeling, right? But what's interesting about this passage, and if I go back to it, notice what he says. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Sensuality is a word, and let me go ahead and jump forward here. Sensuality is a word that means preparedness for every pleasure, Sensuality is a, a giving yourself over to pleasure. It's a, ready to experience pleasure and, and, and enjoy pleasure. And we think about it in one category most of the time. But what's interesting about this to me is that I used to think about, like when I, I different people I've counseled, in fact, I've said living, you know, according to the way the world is about a feelings motivated living, right? But, but following after Christ is about a, a principle based, doing, choosing to do what's right, knowing what's the right thing to do. And as I was studying this, I thought, well, that's not how Paul describes it at all. He actually describes the people over here in this category as the ones who've become callous or lost feeling. Now, I'm just being honest with you. This presented a bit of a challenge in my mind because I look at people who live according to the ways of the world very much just doing whatever they feel like doing many times. Right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what the world says too, Right? Do what makes you feel good. Do what you think feels right. You know, what, what's your heart tell you to do? Follow your heart, right? I mean, there's all these things going on. And so I was stuck in this little dilemma for a bit. I was thinking, okay, what is Paul talking about? Right? What's Paul talking about? That these are the people who are actually the ones who are callous. They've lost feeling. What's interesting, that word callous uh, has specifically to do with the lost, the loss of the feeling or the ability to experience pain and grief, right? Now, what does that mean? Well, if, if someone's over here walking according to the way of the world, they've been darkened in their understanding and because of the hardness of their heart, and they become callous, 
the thing that they've specifically become callous to is to the things of God. Ultimately, you will build up a resistance to those things. I think a great example of this, I, you know, as a teacher, I've, I've told people before, you know, with, with something like cheating on a test or a quiz. It's amazing how that happens. The first time you do it, you feel horrible. Second time, it doesn't feel so bad. Eventually, you stop feeling bad about it. You might still be worried about getting caught, but doesn't that eventually, it seems not as bad. Right? That's what Paul's talking about. Eventually, there's this callus that builds up to the things of God, that inability to feel that, that pain, that grief associated with the, the proddings of the Holy Spirit, prodding you to do the right thing. And Paul says, hey, you're gonna, you're gonna, this is where you're going to end up. Callous, unfeeling to the things of God. But now, notice that tied with this callousness is this desire for pleasure. And so that's where the feeling comes in to say, okay, I've, I've turned myself off to the things of God, but I want to experience, instead of finding the joy that I might have in Christ, right, to go in the way of the cross, to go in the path that, that Christ had towards pain and suffering and challenge, Instead of going that way, I want, my life is all about avoidance of pain. And you see that in so many people of the world, they are, are their goal. And, and I think many of us would say our goal, even in, sometimes we even pray for it. Our whole goal is to avoid suffering. But you can't read the Bible without understanding that that's exactly where Christ many times desires to take us. To the cross. Into suffering, into those things. And life is truly like that. You might be able to try to avoid pain as much as possible and build up that callus to experiencing those things and try to avoid it. But that is not where Christ wants to take us. Notice as well, this callous pleasure is also greedy. The greediness here is, is really the love. One, one Greek historian uh, defined this word as the love of possessing. And you see that tied in not just in pleasure, Paul says, but also in, in having and possessing things. You remember that uh, basketball player example I gave a minute ago? Or the football player example? You, you see this again, and I, I've, I've kind of laid this out, but you see this again so much. Because we can take the example of the person who is, who's, is over here. They've first gotten saved in their... But they're still wrapped up in so many of the ways of this world. And Paul says, don't continue down that path. Don't continue to walk that way. A lot of times you'll see people begin to, to shed off some bad behaviors and begin to make some right decisions. But you'll still see many people in this situation where, yeah, maybe they would have been a good football player right, when they were in elementary school. Maybe they were a good football player when they were growing up a little bit more in high school. But then the skills stopped increasing, right? The skills stopped increasing. And what you're going to see is Paul then shifts. He says, hey, you're not to walk the way of this world. He shifts directions a little bit and he says, he says this, but this is not, but that is not the way that you learn Christ. Now, I want to chew on this verse for just a second. Instead of hardness and ignorance... Instead of callous pleasure, instead of greed, he says that is not how you learned Christ. As a teacher, I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of words in this passage that stand out to me as very important words. Okay? So I'm, I'm shifting into teacher mode for a second. The type of words that Paul uses when he talks about the difference between walking in the way of the world 
and walking the way of Christ hinges on what's going on, much of it with what's going on up here in your head, your brain, your mind, how you think. Right? Notice the words he used on the one side. Darkened in understanding. Right? He talked about hardness of heart, which is talking about a stubbornness. The heart is not just your feelings, but specifically how you think. Notice when he shifts over and he talks about Christ, he says, that's not how you learned Christ. Right? That's not how you learned him. And so I want to put it down this way, that if I were to simplify this whole thing, because I, sometimes I go through a passage like this and I feel like I'm afraid that the, the main point is going to be lost. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you right here. Ready? The, the main difference, I believe, between someone who, who's walking the way of the world, and what does it mean to walk the way of the world, and someone who's going to walk the way of Christ, focuses in on this one word, teachable. I think about what, it, what, it is, what, it, what the word Christian came from. In the book of Acts, the word, the word Christian, it says in, in this particular city, it says uh, in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So what's a Christian? It's a disciple. Well, what does it mean to be a disciple? Uh, inherent in the very aspect of disciple is this idea of following, but isn't it also the idea of being a student? When someone became a disciple of a certain person, they were saying, this is the teacher, I'm the student. And doesn't Jesus himself call himself, the, isn't he the great teacher? Don't they many times call him teacher? Why do they call him teacher? Because they were his disciples. Teacher. See, there's a fundamental difference between to, to, to walk the way of the world, to walk this way, the fundamental difference, right at the very core of before we get to all the behaviors and what it ends up looking like on the outside, at the very core, the difference between walking according to the world and walking according to Christ is you must be teachable. Right? You've got to be someone who is teachable. There's growth is implied here. Notice that Paul shifts a little bit. It's, it's almost sarcastic, right? He says, but that is not how you learned Christ. And what does he say next? He says, assuming that you have heard about him, Okay, the Ephesians, I am sure, have heard about Jesus. Okay? Think about this letter. All the things he's been talking about. Clearly, these people have heard about Jesus. And so, what does he say? This is not how you learn Christ. Assuming you've heard about him, right? And were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And so, notice there's three more words wrapped up in this that have this teaching, student, teacher feel to them. Notice the, the, the aspect of the herd. You've heard about him. And you were, you were taught in him. And then he talks about the truth, as the truth is in Jesus. And so we could narrow this down very much to being teachable versus being stubborn. The walk in the way of the world versus walk in the way of Christ is about being a teachable person or being a stubborn person. Yeah, you're in one camp or the other. Right? You, 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 sitting in this room today, every one of you in this room today, is either you're a teachable person or you're a stubborn person. You're one or the other. Are you someone that's, that's learning? You come here, I want to hear, I want to learn. Or are you coming here saying, I already know what I need to know. I'm just doing this because I have to. I don't know. But there's one or the other. And the very core difference between walking like the Gentiles walk compared to walking like Christ would have you to walk is whether or not you're going to be someone who is teachable or you're going to be someone who is stubborn. Okay? And why is that? Paul says the truth is in Jesus. I mean, throughout Jesus' ministry and his earthly life, he talks about himself all the time as being the truth. 
right? He is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by Him. He is the very essence of the truth of what God is doing in this world. And it's all about knowing who is Jesus. And so I want to end with just a few uh, uh, ways that you can put this into practice. Okay? Number one, be a listener to the things of Jesus. Right? Be a listener to the things of Jesus. Be alert in church. That's a good way to be a, a good listener to the things of Jesus. Take notes. Right? Uh, pay attention. Make sure you're, 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 you're really listening. What's, what's being said? What's going on? Uh, there's all kinds of things you can do to be a better listener while you're here. I mean, just being here is the first thing. Right? But as you're here, to be a listener, someone who's... Who's listening? Uh, and good listening has a critical ear, doesn't it? Wait a minute, you said that. I'm not sure. I got to think about this for a little bit. Well, I got to be sure about this. What about this thing here? One of the best ways to make sure that you're not going to continue to walk in the way of the world, but to actually walk the way that Christ wants you to walk, is to be someone who's a listener. Just come here to be ready to listen. Right? I think the next thing here is be a learner of Jesus. Right? Someone who is taught in Him. I mean, this is a, a personal teaching of who is Jesus Christ, but it's not just the facts. Learning, of, you've heard about Him, but now we are taught in Him. Okay? So this is not simply facts. This is life-changing. Someone who is genuinely a, moved from being a listener to being a learner begins to ask the hard questions of themselves. Am I doing this? How does this impact me? What could I do differently? Right? You can be a listener and, and pick out enough information to think about how everybody else needs to change. But a true learner begins to take those things into himself and say, Okay, how does this reflect on me? There's other things you can do to be a learner. Read a book about Jesus. Read the Bible. But there's a lot of really good books about who is Jesus and what did he do and that explains those things. There are teachers that we've been given that God has blessed this world with to have deep understanding of the things of Jesus Christ. Get a study Bible. And when you read your study Bible, when you read your Bible, read some of the notes down the bottom. I learned so many things by getting a study Bible and, and reading some of those notes and they explain different aspects. Oh, okay, that's what that means. Oh, okay, this is what he's talking about. My mother-in-law... Um, highly recommends a children's Bible. Uh, there's an NIV children's Bible, and I, she, she's, she's given it to so many people, and there's so many people that she knows. She works at the nursing home, and, and uh, there's a lot of people she's given this children's Bible to, and sometimes she'll cover it up so it doesn't look like one. But uh, it's easy to understand so that you can read through it and, and comprehend what's going on. Someone who's a learner will go that extra distance, Right? You could study ahead in Ephesians. You know we're going to be in Ephesians in church. I guarantee that if you took some time to read through what's coming up in Ephesians, and when you came here today, you'd have a deeper understanding of the things I'm talking about because you're prepared. You know what you know where we're at. Uh, teachers in school many times do that. They'll have their students read a, a, a chapter before they discuss it. You know, if you really want to be a learner, these are the kinds of things that you could do. Right? It's easy to look at kids and say, hey, you need to read, do your homework, do this, do this. But what about you? I mean, the truth is, you're either a learner or you're not. Right? 
You're either the kind of person that wants to know, I want to know more about Jesus. I want to learn more about who he is. And there's not a person in this room that's arrived to that point yet and gotten to the limit. I encourage you to, there's, there's, there's a good sermons you can listen to online or you can, you can download different sermons from different preachers who are a good preacher. But just be someone who's a learner who's trying to take in more information about who is Christ. There's a lot of things that you can do. I, I challenge you, you could probably fill your mind with tons of good things compared to many of the TV shows that we watch. Right? I know some of you have even gotten audio Bibles before, and, and while you're working, instead of listening to television or listening to this or listening to the radio, let the Bible play, and you're, you're hearing those things as you're working. Someone who is a listener and a learner. A third thing I want to suggest is to be humble like Christ. Now, this one is not specifically in the text that we're talking about, but you can't uh, avoid this. There are passages in Scripture where it tells us that Jesus learned obedience. Right? It's not that he wasn't God, that couldn't, he didn't know what it meant to be obedient, but he learned, he understood what it was by those behaviors. You know, it's interesting, when I talk about humility, though, there, I'll, hear, I'll hear people all the time say, oh, teenagers, they are so hard to teach them anything. Right? They, are, they, they just think they know everything. Right? Teenagers, they, just, they are so com- They just know everything. You know what? I don't think most teenagers have anything on old people. <laughs> right? Uh, there's a lot of people that you, get, you start getting, hey, and I, I'm, I'm knocking on the door now, right? I'm 40, so I'm, I'm getting close. Uh, hey, I, I'll be the first one to step in line and say, the older I get, the harder it is for me to listen to what somebody else has to say and learn. Now, I'm younger than a lot of you in this room, and I, I, I know that it is probably difficult sometimes to hear a young guy preach and try to learn from a young guy. I, I've done the same thing. I, I know I've shared this at church before, but I can remember one time several years ago, I was sitting there, there was this guy that was preaching, and I knew he, man, he was like right, he wasn't even out of college, and he's preaching this, this message, and he's talking about, and I'm just sitting there, and I was sitting, the whole time I'm sitting there going, you don't know nothing. That's, I wasn't saying it out loud, but in my head I'm going, you, what do you know? You're just a baby, you know? I just, I was sitting there the whole time, and I was so convicted by that later. Uh, a few years earlier than that, I'd seen the, an alternate example. When I was at Northland, I was, there was a guy who was preaching. Uh, we were in a preaching class, and one of the, the, the kids would get up there and preach, and some of them were just horrendous. I'm sure mine were horrible. And uh, the teacher, though, every time he would get there, and I know I've shared this before, every time he would get there, he would open up his Bible, and he would just sit there like this, ready to learn. And this guy had been listening to kids preaching for years, and he would still do this. Inf- I asked him when I was like, it just seems like no matter who's up there, I said, you just always seem so intrigued by whoever's preaching, whatever they're saying. And he said, well, it's easy. He said, they're opening up the Bible, and there might be something that they have that I didn't know that I could get. God might speak to me today through this guy. They're fallible. They're humans. But God is not fallible. And I might get something from him. But it's tough to be a learner sometimes. And in order to be a learner, I believe absolutely you have to have humility to say, I might have something to learn. I haven't arrived yet. Right? Look to Jesus Christ as your example. Someone who took the form of a servant. I mean, Jesus was... I just marvel at this. I mean, Jesus was, was, was divine. He was God, and yet He came as a baby. I mean, He would have gone through all those childhood years, right? I just think about what He was able to do. 
And let that be an example for you to be willing to be a true listener and a true learner. Finally, I want to say this. Pray for more of Jesus. There's been two times in the book of Ephesians that Paul specifically prayed that we would get more understanding of who is Jesus. The first one is in Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to what Paul says. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now listen to what he prays for. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. Alright, so here he's praying for these, these Ephesians. He says, I've heard about your love and your faith, but I'm going to pray that you'll know more. Right? That you'll have more knowledge. I'm praying that you'll have this. And then again in chapter 3, Paul prays again. There's a second prayer. And listen to what he prays this time. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Well, what do we need this power for? Listen to what Paul is praying for. Power, right? Power to do what? He says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to do what? To comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I challenge you to pray that way. Pray for that kind of knowledge that you might know who Jesus Christ is. Now, we're going to close this. The challenge that you have, though, is to really ask the hard question. Are you, this one or this one, are you, are you, a, are you a learner? Are you someone who's willing to, to, to listen? Do you come here to, to hear and to, okay, I learn more things? To grow, to change? Or on the other hand, are you a stubborn person? Hard. There's some things you don't know about Jesus, but instead of being someone who's willing to learn, you're you're caught in, in this ignorance and this stubbornness. Where are you at? There's no middle road in this situation. You're either teachable or you're not. You're either a learner or you're not. Which one are you? Ask the hard question. Which one do I fall in? How might I know the answer to that? Well, ask yourself, what have you been learning? How have you been growing? To bring out the football example one more time, one of the key differences between a good football player and someone who's not a good football player is that ability to continue to learn and grow and change and get better. Would you not agree with that? It's also true with a Christian, someone who is genuinely a child of God. What defines them is not that they've just put off some bad stuff, but they've continued to grow into this likeness, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. If you found that yourself, that you've looked at yourself, you've been in church for a long time, and you could look at where you were 10 years ago, and it's no different than it is today. 
then I can help you answer the question. You are not a learner. You've fallen into the way of the world and you're walking like the Gentiles in stubbornness and in hardness. You're darkened in your understanding. You probably don't even realize that you're stubborn. You're alienated ultimately from this life of God right now. What could be going on? Because you, you, you're, and you're missing it. You don't even know what's going on. You've maybe even gotten to the place where you are now callous. Right? Callous. Your heart has grown hard. That callous has been over it. You've heard preaching. You've heard, you've heard people say to you a hundred times over, you need to read your Bible. You need to do this. You need to do this. And you, you've, you're, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But you're fine and content with just being right where you're at. And the thing that you seek most in life is absence of pain. You just want pleasure. I want to enjoy this TV show. I want to have a nice vacation. I hope it rains today. I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope we get this. I hope this goes smooth. You're living in sensuality. You may not realize it, but that's where you're at. I challenge you, if that's where you've fallen, to today repent. Get before God and say, Lord, I've fallen into this this walk, and I'm walking like the Gentiles walk. I'm no different. Lord, work in my heart that I might get where I'm supposed to be. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I I do thank you, God, for your word. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us. Lord, my hope is for everyone in this room to be a learner. My hope is for every single individual in this room to be someone who is a learner, who comes to you and is teachable and humble, who listens to your word. And they've heard about Christ, and they want to be taught in him. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room would get to that place. Lord, I want to pray for those in this room who are stubborn, hard of heart. Lord, they may not realize it. Lord, I pray for them, God, that you would break that hard heart. Lord, I pray that you would bring in situations of life and challenges and trials. and, and Lord, for the sake of, of, of their own soul, Lord, I pray that you would do that. Lord, I pray that you'd break that hard heart so that everyone in this room would have a spirit of Christ within them so that one day we will stand before you together and not separated. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed.